Good morning. I was thinking, and that's always dangerous. And uh, I went to I went to one of the Lighthouse concerts. Uh, it was about a year ago, and uh, the the parking guys, you know, were out there, and they told you where to park, and they said, "Oh yeah, park right here, park right here." So we parked. And there was a bunch of people in front of us and behind us, or whatever in this area. So. Uh, we came out, and there was a ticket on our car. And I go, we just parked where the parking lot guys told us where to park. Well, I called up the church. I said, what was up with that? I was nice. I didn't say it like that. And uh, they said, uh, what's your name and address? We're going to send you the money for the ticket. <laughs> so that was, that was cool. But uh, then I had a heart attack three days later. So uh, <clears throat> it's, I think it's directly related personally, but you can't know for sure, right? Anyways, uh, Norman, uh, I talked to Norman this morning, and his lovely wife, Anna, is here sitting. At, I love it. She sits in the front, and I can just... Keep an eye on her. No. And uh, some more relatives are here today, too. Anyways, I talked to Norman this morning. He's doing good. He had some kind of good news and bad news. Uh, they, he, actually, they drove up to New Hampshire to where the surgeries were all done and, and uh, met with the, the doctors there. And uh, some of the good news, uh, things are, are coming along well, but the bad news are still in that, that gap area is still, you know, not filling in as fast in the interior of it. And so they're kind of like asking him to put a little bit of weight on it so it kind of stimulate the growth, but not too much weight because then that could cause it to like, you know. So he's, he said he, he called it a tight wire, a tight, a tight rope wire. You got to like balance, you know, between the two things. So we can keep praying for him, but... He's doing well. Let's open our Bibles to the book of Zephaniah. Now, you're going to have to use the index to find that one, okay? Unless you kept the marker in from last week, and then it's just like following right on from the book of Habakkuk. Zephaniah, Z-E-P-H-A-N-I-A-H. Zephaniah. Looking at the... Minor prophets. Anybody remember what the, the, the main message of the prophet was? The main message of the prophet. Anybody remember? Somebody said something, but... That's generally it, yeah. What, what I, the way I spell it out was to bring the people back to God. To bring the people back to God. That's really what the main message of, the, of a prophet was. But, but um, just a little review again on the Old Testament. What are the main five sections? Anybody remember? First one is law, right? Five books. What's next? History, yep. Twelve. What's after that? Poetry, yep, yep, yep. Five books of poetry. Major prophets. Minor prophets. So we're doing a month in the minor prophets. We, this is uh, week number three. We're going to do another week next week. 
And we're looking at, at a book each time. Last time we looked at this guy Habakkuk, right? And, and I, I found it so fascinating just to kind of get the whole picture of this guy, you know, who had these questions and he was wrestling with God about them. He fought it out. You know, he had these questions. Why, God? Why don't you do something? Why don't you, you know, step in here? And he argued with God because then God told him, well, I am going to do something. And then, and then Habakkuk said, well, that's not exactly what I wanted you to do. So it's more wrestling. You know, he prays, God, do something. God says, I'm going to do something. He says, no, no, not that. And, and then, you know, but finally, finally Habakkuk comes to this place, and it's a, a fascinating story, really. He comes to this place of faith where he just trusts God, that, that God really knows what he's doing, that God is in control, that God is reigning, is ruler, he's sovereign. And, and that's really the place we all need to come to in the end, that, that we have to trust him, that, that he is God and we're not. And God says it to you and to me, trust me. Will you trust me? And, and that, and that uh, statement he makes there, and in, in, uh, just look on the page previous there, Habakkuk uh, chapter 3, verse 18, yet, all these things are not happening, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. So that place of, of faith. No matter what the circumstances look like, no matter what your bank account looks like, no matter you know <clears throat> how the how the <clears throat> things around you are going. Now today we're going to look at Zephaniah, as I as I said, and and uh, <clears throat> as I mentioned about Norman, you know, there's always bad news, good news. I always I, I say that to to people. I say it to my grandkids a lot. I say I got some good news and some bad news. What do you want first? And people always want the good news first. Why, why? You know, usually. Or they want to get the bad news out of the way, right? Good news, bad news. And, and that's kind of the way the, the book of Zephaniah is. And really, a lot of the prophets are like that. They, they're, there's some stuff that seems really bad. The bad news is there, but there's also always this good news. There's always this hope that's there. And I, I think that we have to keep that in mind as we look at these prophets, as we look at these uh, mitre prophets. So today we're in the book of Zephaniah, and, and Zephaniah, the, the, the subtitle is The Day of the Lord. The Day of the Lord. And he refers to the Day of the Lord in, in different forms, but more than any other Old Testament book that the book of Zephaniah does. The Day of the Lord is coming. The day of the Lord. Now, this phrase, the day of the Lord, is used in two different ways. One for uh, what one guy said was locally. The day of the Lord is coming in a local setting, in a local place. And, and for example, we're going to look at Jerusalem and the, you know, the, the area of Judah, the nation of Israel. But, but you'll see, and, and in this book, as well as in the whole of the Bible, the day of the Lord is also coming on a global scale. So, so do you get the two different areas? Are we, are we good so far? Okay. So even in the book of Zephaniah, he refers to both. This, this thing that was going to happen to the nation of Israel, which previously already happened to, you know, you had the... the 
the divided kingdom of Israel, right? You have the northern kingdom and the southern, southern kingdom, and the northern kingdom has already been decimated and taken off, taken away. They're gone for like 100 years already. But the southern kingdom of Judah is still intact. Now, Zephaniah was one of, there was a couple there, but he was one of the very last prophets before Judah would also fall, right? And this happened in 586 B.C. Uh, the northern kingdom fell in like 722 B.C. But Judah would fall. And so, so Zephaniah is warning them, listen, the time is coming. It's a divine warning. It's a warning from God. It's, it's going to happen. And the question is, will they respond? I think when we first started our study in, the, in this uh, little series, you know, the question we, we want to answer is, will we respond? Will we respond to what God's Word says? Check it out. But then the question is, will we hear and will we respond? Because it, it wasn't just for those people there. If we think the Bible was just for those people back in that day, just for those people, you know, you know, thousands of years ago or hundreds of years ago, we're missing the whole thing. God has given us His Word for us today. For us, for you, and for me today. Now, it's hard to get the exact time that Zephaniah wrote this prophecy. Some, some don't know... You know, some it says in, in verse one that he wrote during the time of, of uh, Josiah, the king of Judah. So we know that he was he was writing during the time of Josiah. But what happened was Josiah, who became king at like eight years old, and then like eight years later, it says he began to seek the Lord. He began to seek after God, and things started changing, and then. Uh, a, few, a few years after, after that, they found the book of the law of the Lord. And, and, and this guy, Josiah, he had this like radical thing happen. He just, you know, he began to weep. He began to tear his robes. And that's what they would do back then to, to show that they were moved. They would tear their, their robes. And, and this happened to him. So so, and, and he began to have, you know, this reforms took place. He began to, uh, you know, bring the nation back to God. So where does Zephaniah fit into this? Was he, did he bring, and they aren't really sure, did he bring this message before Josiah began and heard the words and began to, to, to turn, or was it after it? It doesn't really matter. Now, the, the problem, of course, with what happened with Josiah, it, it, was, it was rather short-lived because judgment still came. And we're going to read about that. We're going to talk about that in a minute. So let's go ahead and start reading Zephaniah. And again, we're not going to look at every verse. We don't have time to do that. The donuts are going to get cold. And uh, <clears throat> it is donut day, by the way. <clears throat> Look at Zephaniah chapter 1, verse 1. The word of the Lord that came to Zephaniah, son of Cushi, the son of Gedaliah, the son of Amariah, the son of Hezekiah, during the reign of Josiah, son of Ammon, king of Judah. The Lord says, I will sweep away everything from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. 
I will sweep away both men and animals. I will sweep away the birds of the air, the fish of the sea. The wicked will have only heaps of rubble when I cut off man from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. Now, is he talking about a local thing here or a global thing? In those verses, he's talking about like the whole earth are going to be affected. But then look in verse 4. He says, I will stretch out my hand against Judah and against all who live in Jerusalem. So now he's talking about specifically about an area, a specific local area. He says, I will cut off from this place every remnant of Baal. The names of the pagan and the idolatrous priests, those who bow down on the roofs to worship the starry host, those who bow down and swear by the Lord, and who also swear by Molech, those who turn back from following the Lord and neither seek the Lord nor inquire of him. This is what was going on there in the nation. Now, now the nation of Israel were God's people, right? God had blessed them in so many different ways, incredible ways, and yet they would turn away from him, and, and one of the biggest problems was idolatry. Now you can say, well, I, can, I can understand that for people who are not part of the nation, part of God's people. And you can, and even, you know, in the, in the Christian faith, you have the, you know, the people who are not believers, I can understand idolatry. But this is now within the nation. It's, it's, it's like within the church if, if we become idolatrous. And the, the definition of idolatry is anything that takes the place of God in our hearts. But notice what he says there in verse 6. Excuse me, in verse 5, they bow down and swear by the Lord. That's good, right? But what does it also say? And who also swear by Molech. So, so they're, they're trying to do both. They're trying to do both. Uh, the, the technical word is syncretism, where they try to syncretize two different you know, faiths, two different uh, things. And that's what they're doing. And, and you know what? It doesn't work. Does it work for you and me? This is the thing, you know. Can we do both? Can we follow the ways of the world? Can we walk in the world just as the world walks and walk after Jesus at the same time? We try. We try. But it doesn't work. It's not a good thing. What did what did uh, what does it say in the book of Revelation? He says, you know, I, I I would rather that you would be hot or cold. But he says, what you're you, you're lukewarm. You're trying to do both. He says, I'm gonna he you know he uses these graphic terms in the book of Revelation. He says, I'm gonna spew you out of my mouth. It's a warning. You know, these books and really the whole of the Bible really is a warning and a promise. Again, it's the, it's the balance, the good news and the bad news. The warning is, is to watch out. Look at it says there in, uh, in verse 7. He says, be silent before the sovereign day of the Lord. For the day of the Lord is near. Be silent. And, and I think the picture that emerges as I've was reading this book, is those that would humble themselves, those who would turn to the Lord, who would, would be silent and quiet before them, versus those who are proud, who are arrogant, and said, I don't need God. I don't need to listen to what God might want to say. Jump down to verse 12. 
says there, <clears throat> At that time I will search Jerusalem with lamps to punish those who are complacent, who are like wine left on its dregs, who think the Lord will do nothing, either good or bad. That's a dangerous thought, isn't it? Thinking God's not going to do anything. Things are just going to carry on the way they are. God is never going to do anything. Dangerous. What about verse 14? The great day of the Lord is near. Near and coming quickly. Listen, he says. The cry on the day of the Lord will be bitter. The shouting of the warrior there. That day will be a day of wrath, a day of distress and anguish, a day of trouble and ruin. He says it's near and it's coming quickly. Now, again, for them there, the day was going to come fairly soon. It wasn't the next day. It was a matter of years, but it was coming. And, and on the global scale, there's still a, the day of the Lord to come upon this planet. Say, well, God's not going to do anything. Not, nothing's ever going to happen. But, but, but Peter talks about it. He says people say, you know, God's never going to do anything. But he says, he says there, yes, he is going to. When the time is right, when the time is right, it will happen. Look at verse 18. He said, neither their silver nor their gold will be able to save them on the day of the Lord's wrath. We live in a very prosperous country, a very prosperous land, and, and yet what good is our money what, what good are the, are the possessions that we have going to do when that day comes? It makes me think about when some of the natural disasters happen. You know, it doesn't matter how much money you have in the bank. When a natural disaster comes, you are affected. You can't buy your way out of it. This is going to happen. Chapter 2 now, he begins with... Uh, uh, an exhortation or a uh, call to repent. And again, a definition of this word repentance, it, it's not a bad word. I think, I think people make it out to be a bad word. I think the word repentance is a very good and healthy word. Because basically what it means is to change direction, to go from this way to this way. It's a change of direction. And so, the, but the direction is to, to, to turn away from following nothing, more or less, or the way of the world, or your own way, to following God. That's why I think it's such a good thing. To turn towards God is, is a good thing. How can that be a bad thing, right? To turn towards Him. Look what it says in chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. He says, gather together, gather together, O shameful nation, before the appointed time arrives. And that day sweeps on like chaff before the fierce anger of the Lord comes upon you, before the day of the Lord's wrath comes upon you. Seek the Lord, all you humble of the land, you who do what he commands. Seek righteousness, seek humility. Perhaps you will be sheltered on the day of the Lord's anger. Do you notice there's a word that's repeated three times in verse 2? Anybody catch that? I kind of tried to accent it a little bit. What was the word? Before. 
He says, before, before it's too late, he says, do it now. Gather together before the time comes. That's, that's when you and I need to, to act and make, make decisions before. You know, if we wait until the day of the Lord, guess what? It's too late. One person wrote this, once the day of the Lord has arrived, it will be too late. But before it arrives, there is time to seek the Lord's face for mercy. I like what he says there, though. Seek the Lord, all you humble of the land. It's all about humbling ourselves before him. That's what, what, what it's really all about. Those that would seek righteousness, seek humility. Someone else said this, in spite, in spite of the certainty of judgment, there is still hope for those who will turn to God in humility and faith. There's still hope. A book like this, he's talking about judgment. He's talking about wrath. He's talking about things that, that are going to take place that are not it's not good news. But there is that side of hope. There is that, that side that shows us that God has a plan and, and a purpose. And, and the, the plan and the purpose really is for you and I to turn and follow his plan and his way. Someone said this. I like this. Said Zephaniah's message had both halves of the bad news, good news equation. His first words were bad news indeed. The day of the Lord was coming. But he says it was the turn back to God part of, Je of Zephaniah's message that offered a ray of hope. And to those who listened and responded to his call, the good news wiped out every line of bad. And God would restore those who sought him. It's still true today. It's true then. There were some good things that happened, as I, as I mentioned with Josiah, how he turned to the Lord and, and good things happened in his life. Good things happened in the nation as he, as he went out and got rid of the idolatry, the statues and everything that was around people were, were doing. There's a call here to you and I. Perhaps we're trying to live with two, you know, one foot in the world and one foot in the, in the faith. And he's calling us. He's, he's, he's challenging us. You, don't do that. You can't do both. You have to choose. Joshua said the same thing. This day, choose who you will serve. Will you serve the Lord or, or, or not? But make a choice. You and I have to make choices. We have to make choices every single day. What am I going to do today? Again, what is my life going to be like today? It doesn't matter what I did 10 years ago. How am I going to end up today? How, how is my life going to finish up? Verses 4 through 15 in chapter 2, he talks about different nations. He talks about Philistia. He talks about Moab and Ammon and Cush and Assyria. Jump down to verse 10. He says, this is what they will get in return for their pride for insulting and mocking the people of the Lord Almighty. Pride. Pride keeps us away from the Lord. Jump down to verse 15. And this is the carefree city speaking about Nineveh. We talked about Nineveh in the book of Nahum. This is the carefree city that lived in safety. She said to herself, I am. 
and there is none besides me. What a ruin she has become. A lair for wild beasts. This is the attitude. Again, I'm trying to bring out some of these verses that talk about the attitude that keeps us away from what God has for us. It's this pride. It's this insulting God's people, insulting God, making fun of the faith. Uh, you know, you don't have to look very far, and it's getting worse and worse in, our, in, in the media where, you know, they're mocking Christianity. Used to be, you know, it was, you know, wasn't so much of that, but it's becoming more and more that is the thing, making fun of those who would take a stand for Jesus Christ. No matter what the cost. Because God's way is always the right way. Zephaniah chapter 3, jump to, to verse 1. He says there, Woe to the city of oppressors, rebellious and defiled. She obeys no one. She accepts, accepts no correction. She does not trust in the Lord. She does not draw near to her God. Now, she, he's talking here about, about Jerusalem, God's city, rebellious defiled, obeying no one. Again, you know, I'm the master of my own destiny. I'm, you know, I am just, they were no different than the city of Nineveh. I am. And there's none besides me. I make all the choices in my life. I don't want to bow the knee to God. I don't want to do what God wants me to do. I don't want to listen to him at all in any way, shape, or form. That is what keeps us away from him, and that is what keeps us out of heaven. He goes on in that chapter to talk about the leaders of the nation, the the officials, the prophets, and the priests. Even the prophets and the priests were not following after God. So basically, I've been talking about 15 minutes now or so about the bad news. And that's pretty bad, isn't it? It's bad stuff. The day of the Lord's coming. The day of the Lord is coming for this planet. It's true. We, we need to be prepared. We need to be warned. Just read the book of Revelation if you want to hear about some of the stuff that's going to happen at, you know, in the end times. And it's going to happen. Just to say, no, it's never going to happen is not going to stop it. But now I want to switch gears to the good news because for God's people, for those who give themselves to him, for those who humble themselves before him, who turn to him, it is a completely different picture. A completely different picture. And that's what I want to show you here. Now some of these things he's speaking of events that would take place in the future. But I think some of the things we see, the principles about how God loves his people, how God takes care of his people, how God feels about his people are are evident in these verses here. Look at chapter 3, verse 12. He says, but I will leave within you the meek and the humble who trust in the name of the Lord. That's the dividing line, those that are meek and humble. What did Jesus say about blessed are the meek for what? They will inherit the earth. Blessed are the meek, those who will humble themselves. 
They will inherit the earth. And, and, and so there's a, there's a whole different plan for those who, was, who would trust in him, who would be humble before him. And it begins to really get radical now in verse 14. He talks, well, he talks in verse 13. Look at the beginning of verse 13. He talks about the remnant the remnant of Israel. And, and, and basically what he, what he means by that, there was always a remnant. There, always, there will always be a group of those who trust in the Lord. No matter what, there will always be a remnant. And I, and I think it's even true in our country. There, there will always be a remnant of those who will hold on to God, who will follow Jesus Christ no matter what. But look what he says in verse 14 now. These are some incredible, beautiful verses here. He says in, in verse 14, Sing, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O Israel. Be glad and rejoice with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. This is like we're going to start the party now. Again, a book that's so full of judgment and wrath and, and the stuff that was going to happen, but for God's people, there's like singing. There's like gladness. There's shouting aloud. There's rejoicing with all your heart. Which side do you want to be on? I, I, is there even a choice? I mean, in my mind, like, why would somebody not choose to be a follower with, with all that God has promised. The restoration to sing, to shout aloud, to be glad, and to rejoice. That's incredible, I think. But look in, uh, look in verse 15. The Lord has taken away your punishment. How did he do that for you and me? The cross. The cross. He took it upon himself, and all we have to do is receive it. He took away our punishment because the punishment that you and I deserve is what? It's death and hell. That's what, that's what the Bible makes so very clear. Judgment is what we deserve because we are, we are by nature sinful. By nature we turn away from him. But when we turn to him, and we receive what Jesus Christ did upon the cross, our punishment is paid for, right? That's what Jesus said, right? What did he say on the cross? It is finished. In other words, paid. They would write that word on the bill. When you went to, to pay your bill and you gave the merchant the money, they would write tetelestai on there, which means paid in full. It's finished. It's over. It's done. That's, that's for you and for me. The Lord has taken away your punishment. He's turned back your enemy. How are you going to win unless you walk in the victory that God has given against the enemy? But look what it says there as well. The Lord, the King of Israel, is with you. Never again will you fear any harm. I don't know about you, but I want that. The Lord is with you. This is a promise. He talks about it in the New Testament. He says he'll be with you and he will be in you. I've been reading in the book of Ephesians and he talks about, you know, that the fullness of God would live within us. 
All the fullness of God would come and live within us. And he says it's, it's beyond even understanding how that could be. But, but that's what God has promised. That's what Jesus said, I'll be with you. I will be with you always. How about the next verse, verse 16? He says, On that day they will say to Jerusalem, Do not fear, O Zion. Do not let your hands hang limp. I don't know. I underlined that last phrase. Do not let your hands hang limp in my Bible because that sounds like discouragement to me. Doesn't it? When you're just like, he says, he says, do not fear. One of the biggest things we face in this life is fear. Fear. How many of you face fear in your life? On a daily basis, the, the stuff that happens. And, and David said it, didn't he, in Psalm 23? He says, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. For you're with me. How are we going to combat this fear without the, the, the knowledge and the presence of God in our lives? He says, I'm going to be with you. But he says, don't fear. Don't let your hands hang limp. Don't let discouragement and despair take over your life. I don't know about you, but I get to some places sometimes in my life where I can get so discouraged. I mean, I'm like... My hands aren't hanging limp. My whole body's hanging limp. I'm like, you know, falling on the, as low as you can get just because it's so discouraged. You ever get like that? Any of you ever get like that? Or am I the only one? I saw one hand. You know, this discouragement. And so God says to you and to me, do not let your hands hang limp. Do not fear. Why? Because I'm with you. Because you are mine I love you. It gets better. Look what he says. The next verse. He says it again. The Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. These are faith-building words, I think. I think for you and I to, to, to think about these, to memorize these, to read these, to, to know where they are, now you're going to... You know, have a, a, an idea in the back of your head. There are some words about discouragement. There are some words about when I face these things, they're found in that little book of Zephaniah. I don't remember where it is, but I, I got an index. I'm going to look for it. I'm going to find it. These jewels that are found in the middle of this very, maybe you might say, obscure place in the Bible. Oh, everybody knows where John 3.16 is, right? Everybody knows where Genesis 1.1 is. God is mighty to save. You know, these next few phrases, I, I read them, and, and it's like, what am I going to say about that except, wow. The Lord is mighty to save. He's, he's with us, and he's mighty to save. He's mighty to, to work in my life. Not only save me from destruction, from judgment, but he's mighty to save even in the, the circumstances in my life. He can help me today in my life. 
as well as the future when that day comes. I'm starting to get fired up here. Because look at the next one. It just gets better and better. He will take great delight in you. Now, again, we've been looking at this, all this judgment and, and, and all that, but, but for those that turn to him, those that are his, it's like a whole new picture here. He takes great delight in you. I've heard people say this. He actually likes you. You go, whoa, no. God, he's, he's God and I'm man. He doesn't like me. He just, he puts up with me. No, he likes you. He, he takes great delight in you. Now, I know for me, it's hard for me to like accept that. It's hard for me to believe that. So what am I going to believe? What I think or what the Bible says? What's true? There's a song out. Now, now he, kind of, he kind of personifies fear and he says, fear, he is a liar. What are you going to believe? What your own feelings say or what God's word says? Where's the truth going to be? He takes great delight in you. I, re- I found another verse, Psalm 149, verse 4, said, The Lord, for the Lord takes delight in his people. He crowns the humble with salvation. He takes delight in his people. Think about that one a little bit. How about the next one? This is kind of interesting. I like it, though. He will quiet you with his love. He will quiet you with his love. What do you think he means by that? First, I have to say, wow, that he would even do that. But, but secondly, we are kind of like so, so many times, we're like all over the map. We need to be quieted down. We're like freaking out. We're like, like that. And he, and, he, and he wants to quiet down now. Calm down. Quiet down. But how does he do it? He does it with his love, with his unfailing love. He quiets us down. Not, not with a, a boom, you're going to quiet down now. Right? That's what we, some of us have a, a picture of God like that. That's how he's going to get me in control. He's going to like, you know. If, if you've ever raised kids when they get out of control, you know, uh, Discipline in them at that particular time does not help the situation. I remember my daughter, and I, I won't tell you which one. <laughs> so you got a 50-50 chance. But she would get like out of control. And the only thing I could do, the only thing we'd do is like actually go and put a big bear hug around her and hold her. Right? And it worked. But to try to discipline wouldn't do any good, right? But to hold her, and see, that's, that was like love. And she, calm, she, would, she would calm down. She would calm down. I still do it. No, I don't. <laughs> he will quiet you with his love. Man, we could do a whole message on every one of these, right? 
but I promised you a month in the minors. But the next one, like this one, is like double wow. Double wow. He will rejoice over you with what? With singing. Like, are you telling me, are you saying that God sings? That God, God actually sings? And he not just sings, but he sings over you, over me, if we belong to him? That's what it says, right? Wow. I wonder what his voice sounds like. I bet he's always in pitch, though, right? He's always in tune. But he's, he's, he's singing this song of rejoicing over you and over me. I don't know, but I, you know, a lot of us, I don't think that these, this is the picture that we have of a relationship with God that, that he takes delight in me, that he loves me so much and he's going to quiet me, but he's rejoicing over me with a song, with singing. That's incredible. That is absolutely incredible. The last three verses of the chapter, he talks about help. He talks about rescue. He talks about gathering his people. And then he talks about bringing them home. That's the, that's the heart of God for, for his people. I want you to know that's, that's the heart of God for you personally. He wants to help you and me. He wants to rescue us, gather us. And ultimately, he wants to bring us home. Ultimately, that's the plan. That's his purpose. Wow! I woke some of you up there. Let's pray, okay? Because we're going to sing a couple more songs. Father in heaven, we look at your word and it's just, it's beyond our comprehension in some ways, but to just look at it at face value that you actually, for those that would humble themselves and turn to you and, and accept Jesus Christ, that you have a whole plan and a purpose and, and that you're going to do something incredible and, and that the future is very bright. But not only the future, the present is very, very bright. As dark as, as I read, as, as dark as the, for those, uh, the bad news is, the, the good news is, is bright to the degree that the bad news was dark. Father, you love us and you got your hand upon us and you delight in us. You quiet us. You rejoice over us with singing. That's just incredible, Father, that you would, you would be that for us. I guess we should know that it's true because you, you proved it. You sent your, your son, your only son, to die for us, to take our place, to, to prove that everything that you've said is true.
So we now, each one of us individually, we humble ourselves and we, we say thank you to, to those of us that have, that have already received that love and we say thank you and help us to, help us as Paul prayed, as Paul prayed in Ephesians to know the, to grasp and to know the width and the length and the height and the depth of that love. that we might truly understand as best as a human being could possibly understand something that is infinite, the love that you have for us. Father, I pray if there's any here today that are, that are trying to walk with both, with two feet in different places, one in the world, one in the faith, that you help them to make that choice, that good choice. I pray also for those that have never made a choice. And today you can, you can know that you can make a choice today and, and, and do it now before, before it's too late. To, cho- to choose life, to choose Jesus and to say, Jesus, come into my life. I, I trust you. I, I accept you. I believe in you. Come into my life today. Father, we thank you, we thank you, we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's stand and sing together, shall we?